welcome to episode 56 of the No Degree Podcast. Anesh Daya is the founder of On The Spot Language. He has spent 15 years teaching and developing ESL programs abroad and in Canada. He speaks seven languages. His company uses an activity-based learning methodology to help his students learn English and communicate in a multicultural environment. He got a start teaching English in Taiwan. He became one of the head English teachers at a school he worked at. However, he got let go. Why? Because he didn't have a university degree. The government of Canada passed a rule that you needed both the TESOL and a degree to teach English. However, this didn't stop Anesh. He founded On The Spot Language and the rest is history. Listen to Anesh's story and learn how he bounced back from adversity. Visit NoDegree.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash NoDegree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show wouldn't be possible without you. Let's get this show started. Anesh, can you give a brief interaction of yourself? A brief one. Okay. So my name is Anesh. I am a, an entrepreneur, edupreneur who has a passion for learning, a passion for life, who lives and breathes, inspiring, motivating others to be their best selves and empowering people with language, effective language that they can use in real life on a daily basis and just empower others to do what I've done um, over the years and you know, be the best uh, version of themselves and show up authentically every day. And um, here we are. And, and, you know, I, I'm super grateful to be here with you because I don't have a degree and I'm on no degree. So this is pretty awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, thank, when I saw it, I was like, wow, that's cool. Because I know it's a, it kind of sucks because you see these positions and they're like, any degree, it doesn't matter. You could have a the easiest degree, but they just require it. And it's kind of dumb because it's like, it matters more about your passion and your enthusiasm for teaching others English as opposed to just be like, oh, I'm going to just travel and, you know, use this as a way to travel. I love that you mentioned that because was it about 20 years ago, decided to make that trip to Taiwan and, you know, do the travel thing and, you know, try have a new experience and, you know, go find yourself kind of thing. And with no intention of really teaching English, but I had to get a one of those TESOL teaching English certificates, which you can do like in a couple of weeks kind of thing, right? At that time, you only needed a college diploma. So what's a college diploma? If you go to like any college here, you usually get a, a two-year college diploma. Okay. And so you can get a certificate as well. That's usually one year. Then you only get a degree, if you go to college, I mean, if you go to university, sir. Yeah. But it was interesting. Even when I went to Taiwan, Janaid, I was actually the only one with a college diploma. Everyone else had degrees there. And so I kind of felt like, oh, maybe am I good enough to be here? You know, this, maybe everyone else is super qualified. And, but actually when I got there, it's like, Nobody had any idea how to teach English in a foreign country. And we're all like taking these Orient, do you know what you're doing? Like, I don't know. Do you know? Yeah. I have no idea. And we're like all learning together. And we're like kind of on the same boat and on the same page of we have no idea what we're doing. It was interesting. So I have a background in multimedia. Uh, it's like multimedia design and production technician. That's what I ended up studying. Because I love, you know, just being on the computer, the constant learning. And I got burnt out and went to Taiwan. When I came back, interestingly enough, I couldn't find a job in multimedia because at that time, it's got that dot com, that burst bubble kind of thing, you know? And so I'm like, well, I have a little bit of teaching English experience. So I applied to a school 
And here I am sitting in the interview of like a year of teaching English experience. I'm in the room with this, these two like super empowered, beautiful, amazing, educated women. One had worked for like taught English for like UNICEF. One had experience like in the UN and they had like all these vast amount of education and knowledge and experience. They understood grammar rules inside and out. I'm like, I just came from Taiwan, you know. I just kind of had fun in the interview. You know, I joked around a little bit. You know, they had a second round of interviews then and I ended up getting the job, you know, and I wasn't the one who had all the qualifications, but then fast forward five years later, I'm at the school and I'm head teacher of the school. I was one of the more popular teachers and done a lot for the school and done, guess what happened? Oh, I, I have an idea. Yeah. I got laid off as a head teacher. And what was the reason for your layoff? I didn't have a university degree. That's crazy. So you've been working there for almost five years and then they lay you off despite you doing a good job because they're like, oh, we now require a degree. I had developed programs. I had given workshops for, you know, these TESOL boards, like education, like TESOL Ontario and TESOL Canada. And this governing board called Languages Canada, they now made it a hard, fast rule that in order to be working for a language school, you have to have at a minimum a TESOL and a degree. I'm speechless. I'm like, so I can't get a job in multimedia. And now I can't even get a job teaching English. What do I do, Janaid? I fortunately through another colleague at the school, they're like, well, my, my boyfriend is, you know, applied to this program. It's like a, it's called the TBDC, Toronto Business Development Center. And what they do, the government, when you lose your job, we have, you get unemployment insurance, right? You get unemployment, you know, money from the government. But there is this program called TBDC and it, you kind of have to do like a, you know, Dragon's Den or Shark's Tank. You do like a pitch of your, an idea of a business you may have. So I'm like, well, for a couple of years at my language school, Janaid, I had always talked about, you know what? What was my most frustrating thing at my language school? Well, these students could not use the language we were teaching them outside. They couldn't functionally use the language we were teaching them or I was teaching them once they stepped outside the classroom. And that was, that's kind of frustrating. Why are you here? Why are you even in Canada studying English if you're not actually using it? But they didn't know how to use it. They were like, and I don't know if the expression in English, they were like, deer sees the headlights and they just freeze. And this is what most students feel and experience when they step outside the comforts of a classroom. And so I said, you know what? How did I learn Mandarin? Let me rewind quickly to that time where I was about to get on the plane to go to Taiwan, okay? I'm wearing this jersey that my dad got me that said, I am Canadian. And I'm like, okay, I'm proud to be Canadian. I hug my mom and dad, you know, kiss them goodbye, get on the airplane, the wheels lift off. And I'm like, wait a minute, where am I going again? What am I doing? I don't know any of the language. I don't know anything about the culture, like nothing, right? So what do I do? I turn to the guy next to me. And I'm like, uh, excuse me, you're going to Taiwan? He goes, yeah, I think we all are <laughs> on the plane, right? He's, I'm like, can you teach me the numbers one to 10? He's like, yeah, sure. He's like, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. 
I'm like, okay, e er sans, e er And I'm like, suddenly I'm waiting in line with and the for the washroom. I'm like, excuse me, do you know the numbers one to ten? You don't? Let me teach you. E er sans. And I'm going to first class and coach and talking to all the flight attendants, practicing these numbers, right? E er sans wu liu qi ba jiao shi. And I get to the airport in Taiwan, in Taipei, get to the baggage claim. Someone turns to me and asks me, Ni shi na li lai de? Ni shi na li lai de? I just answer the number two. What do I know what he's asking, right? I only know my numbers one to 10. He was actually asking me, where are you from? And here I am wearing this jersey that says, I am Canadian. I didn't know what he was asking, right? He said, you from where? And I said, oh, I am Canadian. Oh, he said, oh, you should Canada, Darren. I go, yes, Canada. And it was at that point, Janae, that I realized learning my numbers one to 10 wasn't going to help me survive, let alone thrive in a new country. So what language do you really need to communicate with people, to ask questions, to be curious about something? And so I'm like, well, I like McDonald's. Maybe I can order two cheeseburgers, no pickles and a Coke, no ice. And I asked somebody, excuse me, how do I say this in Mandarin, right? He's like, okay. Again, I didn't get that on the first go. I went to McDonald's every day for two weeks to the point where they ordered the, my, they could understand my order. That was functional for me. Well, you know what? Let me dive a little deeper. Maybe I want to ask directions of how to get around. Maybe I see a nice, beautiful girl and I want to compliment her. Again, I was 22 at this point, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, how do I say you have a pretty smile? Which means, tian means sweet. So the way it is, you have a sweet smile in Mandarin, right? So every day, Janet, I learned two sentences that were functional and useful for me. And I wrote them on my hand. And I would just practice them with people. I talked to about 100 strangers a day. Fast forward a year later, TVBS, Taiwan Television Broadcast Station, wants to do a feature on me. I'm like, what? So they have this kind of top 10 countdown of most interesting things that happened in Taiwan for the year. My life was number seven. That's crazy. And they had, they followed me around, me riding my, you know, my motorbike, me eating betel nut, which is like a little, like, you know, pan? It's like a little, you know, kind of high that, you, that, that, you know, they showed me spitting this pan or this betel nut on the ground. They showed me playing mahjong, teaching my friends how to play mahjong. They have me drinking Taiwanese beer. Literally showed a day in the life of Anish, right? This, this brown guy speaking Mandarin. And they have me speaking Mandarin in, on the show. And so literally, if you think about it, I went from learning that my numbers one to 10 to being in the top 10. I want to kind of take it back. Would you want to be in high school? Because originally you, were, you went to do multimedia. Yeah, in high school, I grew up with my dad. We had Commodore 64. We had a, a 386. We had a 144K modem, then upgrade to 336 to the point we had Pentium computers. And so I, I grew up with like Corel Draw 3. It's like Illustrator. So my dad taught me some graphics. My dad had a background in graphic design and stuff. He taught me, you know, basic things. And I love doing graphics and video production and audio production and all that. And But in high school, I had this opportunity. There was a local resort, Janaid, five-star resort in our town near Lake Simcoe here in northern, uh, north of Toronto. And... 
there was a tennis professional who said, you know what? We want to encourage more juniors playing tennis. And it's kind of like when Tiger Woods got popular, right? It's like, oh, get out and play golf. And they did this thing where some students who were interested in playing tennis could go and play tennis and get some lessons. So I went there and I grew up playing on like hitting against the boards and stuff, but I wasn't that great. But the tennis pro there who saw potential in me, so you know what, let me train you, let me coach you on tennis and, you know, get you up to speed. And she, in high school, I went to York University. She paid to get my coach one and coach two certificate. And I actually was a tennis pro in high school for two seasons. And here I am outside every day, right? With the sun and I'm playing and teaching tennis. This is like the perfect job. What? That does sound amazing. You know, I, I just had to rally with people, give some lessons to groups of kids. And it was the most amazing experience. And I actually had an offer at that time for a guy who owned a resort in South Carolina. He's like, you know what? You want to come work at my resort? And I was like, ooh, that's tempting. And then my dad's like, what happens? Well, what's your plan B if you get injured? I don't know. <laughs> I don't have one. I'll have a high school diploma. That's about it. He's like, you know, you, again, you don't have to go to university or anything like that, but you love multimedia. So I applied to Humber College and got into this amazing multimedia program and ended up doing that and going that route and kind of left the tennis coaching behind. But I love that idea of being outdoors. And I also love the passion of using and being around technology and computers. And fast forward to now, 12 years ago, when I'm doing this Dragon's Den Sharks Tank pitch, I pitched this idea of this experiential outdoor language learning program. And they're like, we love it. So like thousands of people apply to get into this program where they give you top up of your unemployment insurance money. So they give you a little bit more money and they give you a year's worth of mentorship to start your own business. And so I was in this class of about 15 to 20 other, you know, passionate entrepreneurs who had these ideas of, you know, their own different kinds of businesses. And then throughout this program, I developed a logo and they helped me think of a tagline and like, well, what do you do with students? How do they feel? I go, well, we always put them on the spot. And they're like, well, what about when you talk to strangers? I go, yeah, we're actually putting them on the spot as well. I was like, well, what about on the spot language? I'm like, all right, there's an idiom. There's an idiom built into the, you know, my branding. All right, let's go for it. Fast forward 12 years, Janaid, we've had over 100,000 conversations with strangers on the streets of Toronto. We've embedded ourselves within this community called the Center for Social Innovation, where we teach students how to build community. You know, we were voted a best ESL school in Toronto for two years. And just last week, we heard that on-the-spot language has been voted and been given an award for top 50 organizations in education. Wow, that's serious. So locally, we had to have some pretty good respect within our local industry in Toronto. But like to get this kind of global award now, which I have to, apparently have to go to Las Vegas and receive in June. But I'm like, this is coming from someone without a degree, someone who hasn't had all the qualifications in the world, someone who got you know laid off, someone who has a tennis certificate and a two-year multimedia design, you know. And here I am in this field of education and language learning with all these hierarchical structures of these masters and PhD people, you know what I mean? And on top of that, I'm brown, which again, 
is nor here nor there, but there's no one that I can look up to. You know what I mean? There's no visible representation of, can I say us? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, you can yeah. say us. <laughs> there's no visible like, ooh, I want to be like, you know, oh, Simon Sinek or Tony Robbins. or yeah. you know, There's not this like passionate educator in the world of English as a second language or language learning. I want to be like him. So hopefully I'm that first, you know, some other people, I, I don't know. <laughs> no, but. you got such a cool story. Now, when you got into teaching English, did, was that something you thought you would end up doing for so long or what was your plan with it? To be honest, I like I said, I went to Taiwan, like you said in the beginning, just to travel and have a break and travel around Southeast Asia. So there was never intention of making this a career, let alone, you know, starting my own business of it. But there was something when I was teaching these students at this language school, they were all like, they were spending so much time and money at these language schools and they're making lots of friends in their classrooms. But I'm like, if you want a native English speaker in a classroom setting, you might as well be doing this in your own country. Why are you here? You're here to immerse yourself within the culture and the country and learn about where you are. So we do things like we do like we do land acknowledgements to try and, you know, before we start our day, we respect the indigenous lands that we're on and we, we dive into the history of where are we standing, you know, and help students get a real connection. We also um, teach mindfulness. We start with what are you grateful for? So we start with that having that attitude of gratitude. And then we just empower students to have functional real life conversations with strangers. Like, how do you approach a stranger? You know, how do you start a conversation? How do you continue a conversation? You know, whether it be at talking, it's, it's pretty cold today, eh? You know, where would I find the nearest subway station? Or empowering them to say, you know, could I get a chocolate chip muffin heated up with butter inside? Or could I get a double toasted sesame seed bagel with cream cheese? No joke. We take them to cafes and restaurants and we coach them on these sentences. That's amazing. We empower them. <laughs> if you think about it, we don't teach them any grammar. We equip them with this kind of language and resiliency tool belt. So we give them the tools and the language that they need to functionally thrive in a new culture, in a new language. That's been the goal of the program since. And so when you think about, when you talk about, did I have a passion for this? No, but this passion of being outside every day, like tennis, instead of the courts being our game, the streets, that we take the game to the streets kind of thing, you know? And we empower them with the right forehand, backhand, smash, serve, volley, the, the tools that you need to be an effective tennis player, but be an effective language learner. So you obviously have a different background than a lot of your competition, a lot of people traditionally in this field. What are the do's and don'ts that you've learned over time? In this specific field? Yeah, and just in general, in entrepreneurship too. One of the do's for sure, and I always focus on the positives as, as opposed to the don'ts, but I'll turn them into do's. I would say for me, because I haven't read all these hundreds of books, I've always made it a point, if I don't know, ask. Being curious and Asking why or how, or if you don't know how to do something, just, well, how do you do this? Or how, and I, I like reaching out to people. And LinkedIn has been great for that. This is something similar to what we do with our students. They're like, one of our students was a midwife back in Japan. And she just came to Toronto to learn English. And I'm like, no, you know what? If your passion is midwifery, that's what they call it. 
that's the first time I've ever heard that word. It's like someone I've recently met. Everyone's talking about empathy, empathy. I didn't know you can actually be an empath. Yeah. Or anyway, you know that. I didn't know that. I'm like, oh, I didn't know you could actually be called an empath. You know, I was like, oh, we're constantly learning every day. We helped her find her purpose and her meaning. You know what? I want to help foreigners in Japan who can't speak Japanese. She's like, I want to empower. I want to do midwifery for foreigners in Japan because foreigners who in Japan, they don't have access to midwives in English, right? And she's been a midwife for several years in Japan and helped hundreds of Japanese, but now she wants to help foreigners. So what we did is we helped connect her with different people. I'm like, oh, I know some midwives. Oh, my friend knows some midwives. And so this idea of collaboration and connecting people. So she ended up going to Ryerson and she ended up interviewing these other Canadian midwives and asking them questions like, you know, what are some tools or strategies you use or which is different culturally too, right? So she's doing, inherently loves doing, but doing it all in English. And that's the thing, like it's finding your purpose and your passion. And I always say, if you don't know, ask. If you don't know, learn. And another do, given what I just said, is collaborate, you know, find people, connect with people. What is that? I don't know if you know that saying is the person, what you're trying to get to or the person you're trying to get to is only like seven people away. Yeah. Seven degrees of separation. That's, that's the thing. (laughs) Six degrees. I think it's six degrees or something. Six or seven. Yeah. And it's true. I don't know everybody, but you know, maybe David Mendoza from Orbit 5, he knows Janaid. Okay. What? Janae's not in Canada, though. How do you know? Well, you know, we're connected through, you know, this community. I'm like, what? There's this other community. And by joining his podcast, I was able to meet all these other amazing people and yourself, right? I would say connecting with people and helping connect others. I like this idea of hope. Help one person every day. Ooh, I like that. There you go. Yes, I thought you made something new. Yeah, yeah I like that. That's a good one. And if you live with even just that base level of, let me help at least one person every day, right? And you may not realize you probably do it naturally because you seem like a really awesome guy. But if you make a conscious effort to doing that, you know, like attracts like, right? And you're going to bring those people around you. And we actually, we we've embedded that within our program. Complimenting people is actually built into our program. That's nice. And I had this experience years ago when I was in Taiwan and, you know, I was friends with this Taiwanese guy and didn't seem like he was having a great day. And, and I complimented him on his basketball shoes. I really like your shoes, dude. You mind if I ask where you got them? They look really good on you. He's like, Oh, my dad got them for me. I said, Oh, so you don't seem really excited about it. They're pretty kick-ass Jordans. Right. And He's like, yeah, no, thank you. And I said, you, you want to go get some bubble tea? Like, you want to go for some, bu-? and again, I'm, this whole conversation is happening in Mandarin, right? <laughs> so, um, okay, let's go. We go to bubble tea. We have a great conversation. And he's like, you know, I met him just before I was coming back to Canada. And he said, you know what, Anish? I was going to kill myself that day. And it was your compliment and us going for bubble tea the reason why I didn't go home and, and heal myself that day. And I go, oh my goodness. You, sometimes you don't know the impact you're having. Something little, right? That goes such a long way. So it's built into our program. Our students have to compliment like three people, at least three people every day. 
And spreading human kindness is, is so undervalued of how important it is. For me, that's one point. The other point is it's a really easy way to start a conversation, right? They're like, oh, thanks. Yeah, I got it. And then we teach our students follow-up questions like, oh, is there one around here? How long does it take to get there? Is it walking distance? So we teach them what the, you know, to continue the conversation. It's like, you know what? This might sound strange, but you mind if I take a picture of it? For you and I, it's like, uh, mm, but you'd be surprised. And some people are like, you know what? All right, let's take a picture together. And he's like, really? You mind if I take a picture with you? In that sentence, we've taught them, do you mind if I, you mind if I, you mind if I. So we teach them the colloquial way of saying it, right? You mind if I take a picture with you? Are you going to say no? Most likely not, right? But yeah, sure. They're like, the next follow-up is like, oh, are you on Instagram? Maybe we can connect online. Not like, give me your contact details, but you know, but if you do it in a certain way, in a language and intonation, you know, you're like, yeah, sure. And they're like, sorry, my typing's not that good. Could you please type that out? But that sentence, could you please type that out? We've equipped them with all the language they need to even build connections, right? On that point is, is spreading gratitude and, and having this idea of hope. And, and as an entrepreneur, always asking if you don't know and, and, and helping connect other people in reaching out if you don't know something. I don't know. In terms of don'ts, I would say don't waste your time or spend your time around bad energy. You know, people who kind of bring you down. Someone, I don't know if you believe in this, kind of level up your community. Yeah, no, I believe in that. You know, you're the average of the five people you surround yourself with most kind of thing. So if I'm around other people who are passionate entrepreneurs, who are, you know, living, trying to live for their dream and, and, and you know, doing all they can, that's just further going to inspire me. And I'll be honest, coming on doing this with you today was kind of a big deal and kind of coming out for me in this field that I'm in and being with, with you on, you know, the no degree <laughs> podcast, you know, I've never really talked about that. There's all this kind of fear of like, I'm not good enough, but then believing in myself and saying, maybe I am good enough, you know, maybe the skills that I have, the lived experiences I have, maybe that is good enough. Maybe I am enough. And then empowering our students to also believe the same because they come here, but for them, language is the barrier right? So they may come with all of the qualifications, but they don't have the language to get that job. When they join our program, we try and surround them with opportunity and teaching them how to connect and meet with people and, and have real life every day. So after eight weeks, Janaid, these learners are talking to over a thousand strangers in eight weeks. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna learn a lot. Their listening improves, their speaking improves, but actually their confidence in themselves. And they're like, you know what? I think I know how to learn. Isn't that the most important skill, learning how to learn? Yeah, no, that is the most important. And once you've kind of gotten that, that's it. We don't want you. We don't want you after our program. You know, you have the tools that you need to continue this. You know, you learn how to shoot. You just got to keep doing those free throws. You got to go to the driving range and hit all those balls on the golf course and then get on the course. And the course is our real life. You've accomplished a lot. What would you say you're most proud of? Or what are the things that come to mind? Because sometimes most is tough to answer. I don't know if this sounds cheesy or not, but my daughter, my beautiful daughter, Reina, she started, I think, seven businesses and she's nine years old. She has this infectious 
personality about her, but she's so passionate about constantly learning and being curious. Part of her daily journaling, which we do together, is like, what's one question you have today? Or what did you learn today? The other day she wrote, Daddy, how are erasers made? Wow, that's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So I'm Googling, I'm YouTubing. We're YouTube watching the YouTube. You know that show, How It's Made? Yeah, my sister loves it. Right? I'm like, oh, it's a lot of like glue and other materials. Like, what about pens? I know you can erase pens. I go, so I'm learning along with her and she's asking all these questions. So I would say I'm most proud of the human, the amazing person my daughter is becoming. And she might just be learning through osmosis, through what she sees me doing, like in a lot of her artwork and stuff, she like draws my logo, my on the spot language logo, the circle, and she adds it into like her school artwork. She's using software, like this program called Room Sketch, where you can actually do architecture. She actually uses that to build like her own floor with ceiling tiles. So she, just her passion for learning and, and never giving up and just that resiliency of like, I can do anything. So I guess my answer in short is I'm, I'm most proud of my daughter and the person she's becoming. And, you know, I'm, I'm super grateful for that. What about in terms of professionally or in an entrepreneurial sense, what sort of accomplishments stick out for you? I would say just our longevity. Not that bigger is always better, <laughs> but you know, it's this idea of in this pandemic, Janaid, there are I've just from one of my buddies, James Rice, someone I look up to, he said 23 ESL schools have closed down over the pandemic. And here I am 12 years in still going to becoming out. If we are coming out of this pandemic, winning this kind of award for globally from this Global Forum for Education and Learning. For me, I'm like, we're, we're coming out of the pandemic thriving. And so I guess the fact that we're still around shows that the value that we're offering has been consistent and it's always gotten better. Our program is nothing but improved every single year to till 2019 when we, when we won Best School in Toronto and we actually embedded podcasting into our programming. That's cool. So we have a, a student podcast called On The Spotter Podcast, where every week I'm with my students around a microphone and native English speakers are scared to like, you know, I, I was nervous initially to get on a podcast and talk. But after eight weeks, Janaid, we have students taking the microphone from me and say, I want to talk. I want to. And now they're comfortable being on a podcast and talking about their lives and their lived experiences. So this idea that we've been able to adapt evolve and change with the times. You know, you can't keep offering the same service. People change. The core methodology of getting out and talking to strangers is, is still there. But the fact that we've been able to adapt and pivot and evolve over the years, I would say I'm most proud of that professionally. Have you ever felt insecure about not having a degree? My whole life. Yeah. I mean, if you'd look from the moment I went to Taiwan and I was around these people and then and when I applied for that English teaching job, when I came back to Toronto, I don't know if I had some self-doubt, but there's something lingering there, right? I'm like, am I really going to get this job because I don't have the qualifications? Once I became an entrepreneur, I think that all kind of just fell out the window. But one thing that I'm really actually proud of, and I'll mention this, is I actually hosted this 
disruptive education conference. I'm like, you know what? Just like you and I, you know, this no degree world, maybe there are other passionate educators like myself who don't like the status quo, who don't like the way things are being done now. You know what I mean? Other people like to go against the grain. I don't know. I didn't think there was, but we know what I did. I reached out to this woman, Judy Thompson, who is like the, the god of ESL and the like everyone knows who she is internationally. I'm like, you know what? Here's a link to my program and what we do on LinkedIn. I don't know if I should do this. I'm like, what does she think about it? She replied saying, my God, where have you been? This is fucking amazing. I love what you're doing, dude. There's actually someone in Europe who has been doing something kind of like this named James West called English Out There. I'm like, what? There's someone else kind of doing what I'm doing? This is nuts. And then she's like, can I be part of this disruptive education world with you? So this woman came to Toronto, Judy Thompson, and we hosted, and she has all the degrees and certifications, very well known in the industry. And here I am partnering with her to run this conference, right? And then we attracted all these other like-minded disruptive educators and we held this conference. I was like, you know what? I'm on stage hosting this education conference and I'm probably the least qualified, you know what I mean? <laughs> to be on stage, let alone hosting this event. I think that was a big point for me. You know what? People kind of respect what I'm doing or what I have been doing. It's kind of constantly believing in yourself and being resilient and, and this, you know, that imposter syndrome, right? I kind of thrown that out the window now. I'm like, you know what? I don't have a degree. I'm going to reach out to Janaid and let me see if he's willing to talk to me. He's super connected and knows all these amazing people. And he's like the super influencer on LinkedIn who's just authentically awesome. I'm like, I wonder if he'll reply to me. Like within like five minutes, you're like, hey, buddy, how's it going? You know, let's hook up. Go, come join this event. I'm like, what? <laughs> this guy's awesome. Yeah, no, I find it's always good to connect with people. Thankfully, my messages aren't too crazy. But yeah, no, I love hearing stories like yours just because there's there's so many people out there who think, hey, there's only one way to succeed. Now, what advice would you have for someone who's trying to do something similar, be an entrepreneur, break into the industry that you're in who doesn't have a college degree? If you could always show up, show up authentically and share your story of like, why do you do what you do, right? Like I knew the frustrations of learning Mandarin or culturally immersing myself. And I'm like, and I wanted to be accepted and I wanted to connect with people. I just didn't have the language. So I'm fortunate that I don't have a confidence issue when I do meet people. I'm just like, if I don't know, I'm just going to ask them, you know, most students, our learners don't have that confidence. So I would say if you have a passion for your lived experience, I've actually created my own perfect job. I love technology. We use all these different apps and stuff in accordance to, in parallel with, or use it with our experience. Yeah, in parallel with. In parallel with, yeah, right? Sorry, again, I don't have the biggest vocabulary in the world here, but I love the outdoors. I love coaching as a tennis instructor. I love connecting with strangers. I love meeting new people. I love technology. Huh, guess what? My entire job is all the things I love doing. You know what I mean? So if people say, I've never actually worked a day in my life. So when you approach, if you're an entrepreneur, 
because there are so many gimmicks and stuff out there, right? Oh, do this or do this or do this. And, and I guess this is why the world of coaching is so popular these days. I'm a this coach or this coach. I actually didn't even know I could call myself a language coach. Is that even a thing? You're like, is that a thing? And it's just like, I've never, I've heard like I'm a- pretty sure. A, I've heard all types of coaches, so. Right? But someone's like, well, actually what you're doing with students, you're not their friend, you're not their teacher. Yeah, you're more. I'm in there like saying, could you please say that again? And like, I'm, I'm like that Tony Robbins with them, kind of in their face. You know, I'm not baby feeding them how to do this. I'm modeling for them and I'm pushing them how to do it. Like students cry in the first week of our program, Janaid. Why? Damn, really? Why? It's not because we're that harsh. It's just because the idea of talking to strangers and being outside and doing this, but also with a little bit of nudge, we all need, I need a nudge to do this today with you. Sometimes you need that little motivation or push to get out of your comfort zone, right? And that's what we do as a coach. We really push students outside their comfort zone to say, you know what? And then once they get over that hump, they're like, oh, I can do this. And they do the self-assessment. They're like, I couldn't do this before. Now I can do all these things. That's your grade. You know, <laughs> I'm not giving you some kind of like, you've, re you've gotten 989 on this score. I'm like, no, look, you couldn't do this and now you can do this. So how'd you sort of develop this process? Because I've had a lot of teachers through my life. And you obviously very animated, the way you say things, you have very, you know how to tell stories. How'd you learn all this? I appreciate you asking that. <laughs> I would say I, well, before I started my program, I knew none of this. It was like a blank slate. One of the best things I did do is as an entrepreneur, the first four years of my business, I was just running it from home kind of thing. Like I would go outside with students, but I didn't have community. And once I became part of this community at the Center for Social Innovation in Toronto, they have a New York location as well. And um, we have three locations in Toronto. I was like, I just want to be here every day because I'm around other passionate entrepreneurs who have all these different stories and have all these different skills. I'm like, how do you do that? How do you do that? One guy was a podcaster. And he's like, how do I start my own podcast? He's like, well, join me, come on my podcast and I'll show you how you can connect things and do things. And, and I learned how to start my own podcast. There was someone else who worked with immigrants. He's in the settlement industry. And he's like, he's helping all these newcomers and refugees, Janaid. All these refugees who are coming to Canada, what's the biggest barrier they're facing? This guy, his name's Craig Edwards, part of Welcome Home TO, settlement agency who helps connect different organizations with newcomers. And he's like, he had an event called Breaking the Language Barrier. He's like, Anish, you have to attend this event. I go, but I only work with international students, Janaid. They have the money to pay and join my program. He's like, yeah, but it's the newcomers, the refugees who really need your program, but they don't have any money in the government. And we're not, you know, non-for-profit and I don't know anything about that. Um, I'm learning about that actually right now. <laughs> so let me, let me stop there. So he's like, what if you did like a pitch about this program to help some newcomers? I took a weekend. He helped connect me with some newcomers. And I ran a weekend event where I took these newcomers out on the streets of Toronto. And they said, Janaid, they learned and they spoke to more strangers in two days with me than they had an entire year of being in Canada. And you know what that did? 
that gave me the confidence that, you know what, maybe there's something I can do to help these newcomers, these refugees, these asylum seekers. So there's this international event called Jasur, which is a Syrian global event. They have it all over the world, different locations. It just happened to have happened in Toronto in 2017. And my buddy Craig is like, Anish, you should do a pitch for your program, but to help newcomers. But I don't have the program developed. I don't know what that looks like for newcomers. It's different for these international students, right? You did it with a weekend with them. So I pitched and there was this competition where you could win a huge grant. And there are all these international organizations trying to help Syrian refugees. And here I am in front of all of these peers and these judges who are going to be judging the pitch. I pitched and I won. And we won this $5,000 grant. And I received an award and all that. I'm like, what? So guess what I'm doing now? My passion now. I want to actually help the people who are going to make Toronto their new home and settle here. In the legacy I'm going to leave behind now, Janaid, for future generations of people who are going to live and make a new country their new home, I want to empower them with our experiential language learning program so that they can connect with the local baker, the local banker. You know, they can open an account. They can talk to strangers, go to the supermarket. They need this program the most, do they not? In the current system right now, Janaid, is them teaching, okay, everybody, Say, this is a pen. This, it, this is how they're teaching still. Imagine this kind of program in every city across Canada or America to help newcomers learn the language. Ah, oh, you're doing, you're doing big things. So I assume that's part of your future goals. I just, over the pandemic, I've actually created a program called Language Settlement. Wow. I like that. I like the name. Right. And so like now we're just like, okay, how do we get VCs or, you know, the government to see this program and to give money to help run this program? And I've now accumulated about or gathered about 15 letters of references of all the connections I've made in the settlement industry, in the education industry, maybe one from no degree coming up soon. Yeah, you got my recommendation. All these newcomers who are coming to the country who don't have, who actually may have all of the qualifications in the world, but they still can't get that job. But if we can empower them with the language tools that they need to get that job, to reach out to people, we actually build LinkedIn accounts for our students in our program. That's a great way to start. And then we say, oh, I know these people. I know, and we help connect them to people. So, you know, I think... Newcomers, refugees, asylum seekers, whoever they are, will have a, a head start if they have this kind of program. So when my daughter gets older and they talk about my legacy that I'm leaving behind, Jeanette, I, I hope this is it. Yeah, no, I mean, I know it's going to be it. Now, you've obviously thought a lot about this and you've obviously actually implemented it. But how do you think the education system can be improved? Because you've done a great job at educating and helping people learn so much in such a short period of time. What kind of improvements would you like to see in the education system? I'd like it to be completely reformed, to be honest. I mean, even just what I see, what my daughter's learning in school, I'm just like, they're spending like weeks and weeks on doing math and like multiplication and division. And, and now you can just use, most people use a calculator or, you know, I mean, not that math is not good. And I think financial literacy is really important, all that stuff. But in my world, in the world of ESL, and I don't care if people even try and copy me and try and run their own thing. I go, 
make it more practical, functional, useful, you know. I'm hoping that this kind of program where you don't have the marks, you can't get a mark for this kind of program, a university or college could say, you know what, maybe people could get a credit for taking this kind of program. Maybe a university in Tokyo or wherever could say, you know what, as part of our English program, maybe they can come to Canada and get this experiential language learning credit where they're not going to be sitting down in a boring classroom all day. They're going to be connecting, meeting people, learning how to network, talk about their dreams, their passions in English, right? So my hope is that the education field or systematic way of, of language acquisition or, or learning a language is going to be more from a, what skills do we need? Like a skills-based learning thing. And, and what do students functionally need? And, and taking more of a coaching approach to a traditional teaching approach. We'll slowly wrap up, but what advice would you give your 18-year-old self? I love that question. My buddy Jan Keck with Ask Deep Questions, that's on one of his cards that I have. I'm doing some name dropping today, aren't I? Yeah, <laughs> um, it's all right. Cool, name drop all you want. I would say never stop believing in yourself and knowing that you are good enough. Yeah, just keep showing up authentically. We have all these... Like you're talking imposter or something, the things that we feel we're not like I had this massive overbite. I was always self-conscious about my overbite. And someone's like, you have a beautiful smile, Anish, just smile more. I go, nobody wants to see my, my buck teeth, right? My daughter's always going, daddy, you look like a beaver. And I was like, that's cool. I appreciate it. But kind of embracing who you are and never stop learning. What, what did Gandhi say? Live as though you're going to die tomorrow, but learn as though you're going to live forever. I would just say something my dad said when I was younger. He said, you're going to have at least four careers in your life. Be prepared for that. So if you're open to the idea that you're not going to always be doing the same thing also, because I thought, oh, maybe I'm just going to teach tennis for the rest of my life in high school, right? <laughs> I ended up working in multimedia and then as an English teacher, then a language coach. And now I'm an edupreneur, diversifying, being trying new things and knowing that you don't have to put yourself in this box. Who knows? I may be at a point where I'm going to help franchise this model or business. You're in New York, right? There's a way I think you could run this program, but it's customized for the city, right? And you can't always approach every New Yorker, you know, Torontonians are generally very friendly. Yeah, yeah. New York is a little different. But there's maybe there's a way to tweak it. Maybe there's, you know, a strategy for someone who is in New York. Say, you know what, Anish, I can totally do this in my city. And say, you know what, Janaid, find a passionate educator who's frustrated. Let me have a conversation with them in New York and say, you know what, maybe I can run my second location in New York. It's not too far from Toronto. And I could have students, all of our students in Toronto end up going to New York anyway. Imagine if they could take like a weekend program asking people, what's your favorite musical? Where's the best place to get pizza? Everyone has something to say about that, you know, so, so yeah, but I could be in a position where now I'm now mentoring and helping other people do what I do. You're going to do big things. So how would the listeners support you? How would they follow you? LinkedIn, appreciate the, and if you're going to reach out, add a note and say, Hey, I love what you're doing because this, or I think we can collaborate because of this. I like to know how people know me and why they're interested in me and not just connect. 
go to On The Spot Language on, on Instagram. We're on Facebook as well. We have about just over 100 YouTube videos. You can actually see my students teaching English on our YouTube channel. It's not just me talking. It's a majority of my students actually teaching English and teaching these different sentences, their favorite sentences. So YouTube, On The Spot Language, anyone in education, if you're interested in what we do, how we do it, and want to learn more, reach out to me, contact at onthespotlanguage.com or reach out to me on, on LinkedIn and let's connect. And if you want to have me on your podcast or show, I would love it. Yeah, no, look, you you really know how to share your story. You really know how to connect with an audience. So Anesh, I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for everything. Appreciate you. I know you're going to impact so many more lives. Looking forward to seeing what you do. And then, you know, we got to make some time for the live show. So we'll we'll make some time for that. Let me know. I'm game. And thank you, Janaid, for all that you do in, in helping and supporting so many people who have a lot of skills, who don't have necessarily their degree. And, and thank you for giving me this platform to kind of come out and, and, and share my stories and my students' stories. And this really means a lot. And I'm excited to see where this is now going to take me. So thank you and God bless you, brother. I hope it takes you to amazing places. So thank you so much for your time and looking forward to collaborating. All with right. You. See ya. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com. Yeah, so you got no degree, no problem, no problem, any problem, we can solve them. Linked insomnia keeps us evolving, growing and knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. Linked insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing and knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. Linked insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah.